C4 scientist Terry Sunderland speaks to the C4 blog about a blockbuster new paper that provides a set of guidelines for managing landscapes in a way that benefits both people and the environment. It's part of a concept called the landscape approach, and Terry Sunderland starts by explaining what exactly that is. Basically, a landscape approach is, is taking into, into account at the management scale the entire landscape so that that can be made up of a whole different set of complex mixture of mosaics within that landscape. That could be logging, it can be community concessions, it can be customary land, it can be conservation areas, i.e. protected areas. And traditionally, all these areas have been managed in their singularity and very little um, synergy going on between the two. And so the approach is really to understand the landscape as a whole and understand what are the drivers of change within that landscape and in order to manage each of those, those patches within the landscape so that there are inherent complementarities instead of what we've referred to in the past as inherent trade-offs between the two. You know, can you have your conservation concession and, and can local people improve their lives at the same time? And the answer has often been no because of the very separated nature of the way that managed. And so the whole approach to developing these, these principles and guidelines is to provide, if you like, a framework for aggregating all of these different and often conflicting land uses in a single entity to try and, and have a far more harmonized and synergized approach to sort of negotiating for the trade-offs between the different land uses. And um, the, the, challenge, the challenge is, of course, is, is getting one, all of the stakeholders to agree on, on a sort of joint vision. And once that's in place, actually setting out a sort of program of work that reflects that. And things change. The global economy has a huge influence. The price of commodities has a huge influence. And your management system has to be flexible enough to be able to tweak and change according to those externalities and, and, and those processes that, that will influence change. So why is a new approach necessary? In your new paper, you talk about the perceived clash between protecting the environment on one hand and the struggle to feed the Earth's growing population on the other. Well, that, that's, that's the main challenge. I mean, the biggest conversion factor of, of natural land is, is for agriculture. And the general perception is in the world that as the population grows, the need for more food is, is perceived to be increasingly important. But that often comes at the expense of, of natural systems. And one of the arguments that we're, that we're positing in, in relation to landscapes and food security is that we do actually grow enough food in the world. And it's not about um, amount, it's about how the food's distributed. And particularly in the tropics, I mean, there's an estimate from the FAO that 40% of the food grown in the tropics is, gr grown, is grown by smallholders. And those smallholders have a huge stake in maintaining diverse agricultural systems. And that diversity is, is really key to their livelihoods. It gives them a resilience against climate change. It gives them resilience against price changes in foodstuffs. It gives them resilience in terms of being able to adapt to, to new technologies. And so the focus is at the landscape scale to be able to integrate food security and agriculture with biodiversity. And there's often a, a huge element that's missed here in, in that landscapes provide incredibly important ecosystem services for agriculture in terms of soil stabilization, climate regulation, pollination services. There is a, a, a very clear and direct linkage between having diverse agricultural systems and food production. I'm not saying that it should be at the expense of, of what we perceive as the traditional agricultural systems of mono, monocrops and, uh, and intensification of wheat, rice, maize, whatever, but it should be in conjunction with and complementary to those, those big cropping systems. So in this new paper, you offer a set of 10 guidelines for managing landscapes in a way that benefits people and the environment. Can you explain what they are? You know, it's taken such a long time and, and so much hard-won consensus to get to this point that I think they really reflect a realistic approach 
that should be and could be adopted by policymakers. They are guiding principles in how you could ideally adopt a landscape approach and rather than focusing purely on protected areas or purely on logging concessions or purely on oil palm concessions or whatever and, and integrating all of those things into a single geographical area that can be managed for local people, can be managed for the national economy, can be managed for the global commodity markets. And so I think this provides a real simplified, it's, it's not rocket science here, it's a real simplified approach to taking what are complex dynamic systems into a much more holistic and, and I think clean, if you like, a clean set of guidelines, which I, I think are easily adoptable. And how would this actually play out in practice? Yeah, I mean, on the ground, I mean, people are starting to appreciate the fact that they need to manage beyond their own protected area or beyond their own community concession, rather, or their own logging concession, because all of the land use patterns within the landscape influence each other. And so you see conservation organizations reaching out to development partners and reaching out to, to other organizations and vice versa in order to manage landscapes in a more holistic way. And so we're not driving a trend or actually just feeding into that trend. And a, a great example is, is Cameroon in West Africa, which is where I spent much of my early career. The landscape approach has very much taken hold, and they have now developed a, a legal framework for landscape approaches called technical operations units. And these are landscapes, essentially, with a whole range of land uses within, and then bringing together all of the stakeholders within that landscape to actually sit and agree on a unified management approach of those landscapes. So you know, the, this approach is gaining traction, it's gaining ground, and, um, and I think these principles and guidelines really do just demystify the approach. Will this have implications for the way conservation and development projects are funded? The biggest challenge is, is the ephemeral nature of most of these projects. Project lifespans tend to be three to five years, and that's a very short period of time to actually get anything done. So there needs to be a, a switch in the donor mentality. Um, but also institutionally with, with implementing agencies to be cognizant of the fact that if you're going to invest in a landscape, it has to be over the longer period. And that there has to be no end point. You can't say, well, in 10 years, the landscape's going to look like this because everything's changing, everything's dynamic. You can only hope for the optimum outcomes that you can achieve realistically at any given point in time. I mean, I, I remember working in a, in a particular landscape for 10 years and every day being surprised at something new. And you don't know it all after two years or three years. And things change and other influences come in. And so there needs to be a much longer scale perspective and much longer scale period of investment in these, in these landscapes.